Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film, Total Recall, is the remake with Colin Farrell, not the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just a quick heads up, we will be discussing the Colin Farrell version and probably the Arnold Schwarzenegger version with spoilers in mind, so if you haven't seen the film, be advised, you should probably check it out before listening to the rest of this podcast, as we will be discussing after having seen Total Recall. Um, Lloyd... This is the first time on Pod Me If You Can you haven't been able to finish one of the movies. I yeah, I had to turn it off um, towards the end. Uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. Like I think the film looked beautiful. I think it had a great cast. Um, I think the environments looked amazing. They did a great job. The action sequences were pretty exciting, but it was so by the numbers and unbearably predictable. I couldn't go through with it. And I hate doing this because I love movies. I understand there's so much effort that goes into them, but this was just, I don't know, chewing glass. (laughs) (laughs) It was just unbearable. I was just like, I couldn't wait for this to end. And when he gets um what exactly happened i think it was when uh they they get to the leader of the resistance Mm -hmm. um and i i I just knew exactly i said oh let me guess um he's this was all a trick to get there by the the main guy from breaking bad brian cranston brian (laughs) cranston and i knew okay um they're gonna tie him up they're gonna um you know do a lot of monologues a lot of talks and they're gonna erase his memory or something let me guess he escapes and by the time he escapes and he's helped by that random dude who left him that message or it was his first phone call when he started getting memory back um Mm. right after total recall i just i I couldn't go through with it I, I i just couldn't i couldn't watch the last bit where he goes he he i guess he mounts up the last whatever the last guys they have and they go up against brian cranston um you know and they have the final battle <laughs> yeah, and let yeah. me guess he kills brian cranston and um jessica beale kills um what's her name the underworld girl <sighs> i don't want to tell you how by the numbers it is uh but uh in fact brian cranston dies before kate beckinsdale Oh, yeah, but Kate Beckinsale dies by Jessica Alba, yeah? Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel, sorry. Well, um, Colin Farrell wakes up at the end. Right. Um, and Jessica Biel's there with him, but it's really Kate Beckinsale. Oh, okay. She's wearing that pretend uh, neck collar thing, you know, but she's projecting the image of Jessica Biel. Oh, okay. So then... Colin Farrell's there with her, so yeah. So Jessica Beale doesn't kill her. Oh right, as I remember. Oh okay, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> but I was right about everything else. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's Colin Farrell who kills her. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, yeah, quite right. This director um, has worked heavily with his wife, and he's doing very well for himself. <laughs> Len uh, Wiseman. Yeah, Len Wiseman. They've done the Underworld. Well, he's done the first two Underworlds. I guess he might go on to do that. Then he's done Die Hard 4.0 and this one. So him and... Um, what's her name? I Kate keep, Beckinsale. I, I, for some Beckinsale. reason, I keep thinking she's Jessica Alba. Kate Beckinsale. She's one of the most beautiful women on the planet. She was greatly cast in um, the um, in Aviator. 
but um so they've got a very good team going they they know their action genre really well but it's really nothing special like i I didn't i liked underworld like i thought it was a bit of fun but it was nothing special you know nothing great and i'm really shocked to have found out he was at the helm for such a huge epic um film like total recall like a lot of money was put into this and it is a big massive budget movie and had a huge ad campaign in fact when i saw the trailers for this and my brother was watching it i only caught a glimpse of it i thought it was real robots oh uh, sorry um i robot steel no i robot with um uh uh will smith. Will, will smith yeah with will smith because yeah, all, right. all those mechanical guys look like you know f- creatures from my robot but it had a great environment and everything like that i thought those movie. mechanical guys were confusing because i i wondered if it was a robot or that they were manufacturing suits for people for a while like whether or not they were making armor for the police force yeah kind i thought, of thing I thought it was but instead they turned out to be like these robotic tanks yeah it was confusing yeah um underworld i i'm gonna be honest i watched the very first underworld at the cinema and i drifted in and out of consciousness (laughs) i I fell asleep um which has really tainted my opinion of the underworld series just because i mean i woke up whenever they yelled and stuff you know it was like (laughs) like whoa what did i miss oh (laughs) Uh, underworld 2 isn't so bad i i think in my opinion it's the best form of animatronics and cgi since jurassic park i think it's that good looking like in terms of imagery um like the how the werewolves change and the werewolves come out they used animatronics and cgi and in particular with the vampires and it's the best form of the two i have seen since jurassic park so it's pretty damn good Um, i'm struggling to think of another film that has animatronics and cgi oh there's obviously a lot of them but for me that blended it in like i look out for those sort of things as much as possible because i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of the old puppetry and those sort of things um and i i guess uh yoda is one of the best forms of puppetry and then i guess of cgi um i don't think he's the best forms but as an example would be um golem maybe uh, yeah okay or uh judge binks to a lesser extent <laughs> <laughs> to a much lesser extent yeah, yeah um just to do a quick detour from this you mentioned um puppetry and it reminded me and frank oz um and it reminded me of um the muppets take manhattan so um i saw that on um the other day on tv and um i forgot that kermit actually marries miss piggy at oh the end yeah of the that film. was a big thing wasn't it yeah and um it's a huge scene and they've got characters from sesame street and the muppets and like lots of yeah yeah and um big birds at the back of the wedding sequence and um at the very end there's a a human standing there he's the the priest who's marrying them and he says i now pronounce you frog and pig (laughs) and um the film had many cameo appearances from people and i was sure that the priest in muppets take manhattan was definitely going to be you know somebody famous like yeah. frank oz the or somebody um but it turns out that imdb has that guy and it lists that as his only credit oh no i have no idea who he is um you'd find it on imdb if if um you were looking for it but if anybody out there knows why that guy was the priest i would be really intrigued to know um it's a bit of a segue obviously from what we're talking about i apologize (laughs) but yeah that just popped into my head that that's one of those things that's really i would really like to know it's probably a friend of jim henson's back in the day i don't know was he an old guy 
Yeah, I was wondering if it was like Jim Henson Jr. or if there was some yeah. affiliation, and I just no, such an no epic idea. Um, part for the whole yes. universe of Muppets. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, back to Total Recall. <laughs> it's uh, um, the the original of this film was actually the original director was set um, as David Cronenberg, who wrote twelve drafts of the script, all set to go and everything like that. And then they do you mean the, the do you, sorry? Do you mean he? Do you mean David Cronenberg was going to direct the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, sorry, the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or this one. Um, and he wrote twelve screenplays. Um, it's not the first time. Uh, David Cronenberg has been asked to direct a Philip K. Dick novel, mind you, um, but instead went to Paul Verhoeven, who's one of the best action film d- directors of all time. And I-, I put Robocop up there amongst them all. He's a great science fiction director. I think most people will know him from Starship Troopers. And uh, Showgirls, which is terrible. I, I love Showgirls. <laughs> Oh, I thought that was excellent. Actually, yeah, that that that's a movie people describe as everyone got high on cocaine and went, "Let's shoot a movie." <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought yes. it was very good. Um, and uh, Paul Verhoeven, he's very he's a very intelligent director, and it's clear after you know that film, which was a Philip K. Dick novel, but it was a v- big vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the 80s and especially the early 90s the big muscle man dominated movies like um uh you know uh Sylvester Stallone Van Damme and so forth and uh, this was just another vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger big sci-fi fiction action film but it was pretty good it was it was a lot of fun a lot of buzz people talked about it for years to come was it a dream was it reality and all that all the science fiction um the things about it went on and now they remade it and it's clear that len wiseman is no paul verhoeven it is so (laughs) clear like you've given this guy everything he knows how to do action scenes he's got two of the most beautiful girls on the planet working on it he's got a very good lead um you know and it's got a built-in audience total recall which could have worked against it because i think fans of the original won't like this at all such as myself Mm. um and yeah and this film comes along this remake and it's just such a big blockbuster sci-fi film with three of the biggest stars that we got at the moment um all very good looking stars they know their action films and it's so by the numbers it is such a film to get bums on seats and let's just watch a big epic action film i that's my opinion anyway (laughs) i um i found it difficult to oh poor colin farrell you know he's trapped married to kate beckinsale and you know (laughs) oh you poor guy you know everybody is a brunette in this film as well so kate beckinsale looks sort of similar to jessica biel sometimes and yeah wasn't they should have like a... the Hitchcockian one, like the blonde and the dark hair. Like uh, often yeah. in Hitchcock's film, the dark haired girls are the villains, and the blonde haired girls are the good girls. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there a bit where they're asking him what kind of girl he likes in the original, and Arnie's like, "I like blondes or I like brunettes." Yeah, he was describing this girl from this dream, and it was like yeah. he was married to a blonde haired girl, um, Sharon Stone, which is one of her best performances, mind you. She was excellent in the film. Um, and then it's interesting he was always haunted by this dream of this dark haired girl sort of dark exactly yeah which I I, I remembered that and um, I just didn't describe it very well then yeah, and yet right. in, in this one it's two brunettes and it's sort of strange that you know it, it feels like there's less conflict I yeah. know it's a very superficial thing but yeah like you say he was haunted by this brunette when he's with a blonde and yeah. it made it, it more intriguing it just you know? added to that 
visual flavor more i guess and it just yeah just added something you're absolutely right i didn't even think about that Mm. um the opening sequence i hope nobody watching had epilepsy because it was just flashing yeah like a ton of it in there and um the colony is australia yeah yeah a shame (laughs) it's like portrayed as one of the poor areas you know on the planet that they're just kind of mining and stuff anyway um what did you think of the traveling back and forth using like the fall through the planet you know with isn't the core of the earth like molten lava and yeah there was actually a whole story on this um uh one of those science fiction documentary things that was on uh, tv and it talked about if you can build a hole through the um core of the earth it'll take you 20 minutes to get anywhere or something like that like it's a really short amount of time with the way the gravity pulls and all that i don't know too much about it but there are actual science fiction there's actual science facts around all that as a possibility of travel in the near future i guess (laughs) but you're absolutely right isn't there like a big massive core in the center that'll melt everything Mm. and i feel like as well if you were going straight through the middle of the planet wouldn't that mess with like the way our planet is revolving around the sun or have environmental impacts at least yeah i sort of i feel like that's sort of glossed over in this and it (laughs) it's quite intriguing and when they do that whole uh you know gravity shift where they need to be upside down and they sort of change where they're sitting and stuff yeah in the middle um that was one of those moments where they set it up just to pay it off later you know to have the they never needed to show us that unless they were going to later on have something in there which they did they had colin farrell i don't know if you saw that bit where they're doing like a big shootout with the robots inside the um when they're going while they're going through the fall Yeah. yeah i think i saw a bit of that you know what annoyed me as well what's that no get your ass to mars (laughs) famous line yeah get your ass to mars get your ass to mars come on (laughs) they they don't they don't even need to go to mars yeah i was was waiting for it i was waiting for that you know need to go to mars at all but no yeah mars acted like this form of escapism from this really government controlled earth um i don't know it just represented a different world um completely which was so fantastical about the first one um i don't know the the first one just had many more layers many more levels and it was just much more fun this one was just so by the numbers and boring Mm. much better looking (laughs) it it's modern i mean the the thing that looks the worst about the original is the cars the like cardboard looking cars that they're sort of rolling around in i remember them being terrible yeah they were That feels like the real, the real thing that dates that film is those cars. Yeah. But yeah, obviously they got flying cars and stuff in this. They one. kept the three breast um, uh, joke, Woman. which is great. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I, it was one of the most memorable it's icon- things. The most it's memorable- iconic. Yeah, well, yeah, the most iconic things of the original Total Recall was that, and the guy going, "Man, I got five kids to feed, five, what, until seven, you know, or something like that, or yeah. three kids to feed." Yeah, that was one of the most iconic moments. <laughs> when you were doing any kind of writing in school, ask me, uh, like, I'll ask you whether or not you heard this as well. But I was told that when you say, "and it was all a dream," that was the worst kind of ending you could do. The th- you know? the worst openings you can ever have was in an, uh, open up with an alarm clock. Um, that's what I was told. Never open up with an alarm clock. 
um, and never end with um, it was all a dream. Like, there's only one movie from memory that has ever pulled that off, and that's Wizard of Oz, but that was really extreme, you know, as a kid. One of the best kids' movies of all time. But, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. So, the first film with Arnie, I mean, it was like... um you didn't ever know if it was all a dream? Yes, that's that's one of the big ambiguous. things. ambiguous. Yes, that's exactly right. The ambiguity was one of the greatest um, traits that movie had because it left people talking about it when the movie was over. People just, I was oh, was it all a dream? Yeah, no, it was definitely real, you know, and all that whole argument, you know, and the few scenes where they do address that is really magnified. People go back and watch and break it down and so forth. I, I'm I, I just I'm really ashamed to say this, but I've never read a Philip K. Dick book. <laughs> oh, okay. Blade Runner? Not even Blade Runner. Oh well, I, I Dream of Electric Sheep. No, I've never read. Yeah, that Android's one. Dream of Electric Sheep. So. Yeah. yeah, it's not a bad read. I mean, if you like the, uh, I know you like the, um, the film. I love Blade Runner. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm yeah. really ashamed about it. I haven't read it. I haven't read too many science fiction books. <laughs> I was going to ask you. Uh, you're a fan of Colin Farrell, though. I mean, from uh, Alexander. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of Colin. Um, Colin Farrell, I think he's a very solid actor. I think he's very good. Hmm. But this film was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty solid, I guess. Um, I was just going to say, the ending of this film is not so ambiguous, like we yeah. were just saying about yeah. the original. I it would have been much more concrete, although I couldn't watch it. <laughs> what happened at the end? I'm going to read you a Wikipedia blurb, and that will catch you up, yeah, I think. Yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> um... Alright, so Quaid and Melina travel to meet with Matthias, who was the rebel leader. Yep. Who's, uh, what's his name? Bill Nighy from uh, Underworld 2, wasn't he? He's- yes, he played a great role in Underworld 2 and also a great role in Love Actually. <laughs> He'll always be remembered for Love Actually, won't he? Um, while Matthias searches the memories of Quaid slash Hauser, SWAT teams led by Laurie, who's Kate Beckinsale, and Kahagen burst in. Kahagen is uh, Brian Cranston. Yep. Quaid, Molina, and Matthias are captured. Brian Cranston's character informs Matthias that Quaid Hauser was secretly working with him without even knowing it. Okay, you saw that bit. Yep. Um, the kill code was a fiction to lure Matthias out of hiding. Um, Kahagen kills Matthias and orders Hauser's mind to be restored to make Quaid hauser loyal again so uh kohagen whatever his name is um and laurie take melina away so jessica beale gets taken away before quaid's mind is altered hammond now a swat team member helps quaid escape but is killed in the process that guy he saw earlier in the film who was all like recognized him um yep a former associate of his yep with the mobile phone like pressed against the glass and stuff which yeah that's was kind of right. cool he, he dies yeah, he's killed in the process. Yep. And then Brian Cranston's character launches his invasion of the colony through the fall. Uh, Quaid arrives at the fall, manages to sneak aboard, installs timed explosives with, within the fall, and searches for Melina, who's Jessica Beale. After freeing her, Quaid and Melina manage to climb atop the fall as it arrives at the colony. As Quaid and Melina fight the soldiers and Gohagen, Quaid's explosives detonate. Quaid and Melina jump off the fall before it plummets beneath the surface and explodes with Brian Cranston's character and his army on board. So they all die in an explosion. Then he wakes up in an ambulance. Quaid is greeted by Melina, which is Jessica Beale. 
but he noticed the a- notices the absence of a scar on her hand and realizes that she is Laurie in disguise. Quaid fights Laurie and kills her. He and Melina are reunited as an advertisement for Recall plays on a billboard in the background. The end. Right. So the gist of it is, it explains it all, dumbs it right down, and like the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger had a much more is it a dream kind of you know quality yeah. and you could debate it afterwards with friends you know this this feels like they need to say exactly what's going on i hate the stupid twist they put at the end like um with uh, uh like um kate beckinsale was dressed as or well disguised as kate beckinsale uh, as jessica as Alba. jessica beale Jessica Biel. Oh, Jessica Biel. Oh my gosh. If I say it again, I'm going to scream. <laughs> um, yeah, I just hate how they have that. Like, I, although I didn't see it, I could just imagine it. Like, it's all filmed. Oh, it's all okay. You did it. And everything. Yep. Then he looks at the sky yep. and then they have the fight. It's just got to have that extra twist. And well, so just sees... so people go, oh, I like that twist at the end. Oh. That was the problem, too, is Kate Beckinsale was so obviously evil from the beginning. Yeah. When. Um they did the were you alone in the dream sort of bit it suggests that she was evil beforehand and um you know she's inquiring already to see if he remembers anything mm. like she's already the kind of fake wife yeah whereas, it was very um, telegraphed wasn't it it was yeah yeah where, whereas um with sharon stone she seemed loving and caring yeah. until after he went to recall and then she was like all crazy yeah that came out of nowhere as well you're like whoa yeah exactly <laughs> Which felt like a very natural kind of twist, whereas here, because you've seen the original as well, I was waiting to see whether or not anything would be different, and it's yeah. all so similar as yeah. well that I, I I said this at the end of the last podcast we did that we were going to do Total Recall, and it's the film nobody asked for, like nobody was doing anything with the rights to Total Recall. Maybe they were going to expire, and they said, you know, we want to redo it, and this is their way of keeping the rights and mm. all the toys and whatever. I mean, I don't even know if there are toys for this, you <laughs> Well, they could probably make it, but I don't know. What's the general consensus with this film? Do you think people were happy with it, liked it? I'm looking at IMDb now, and it's got 6.3 out of 10. I understand that Colin Farrell fans like it, and that um, generally people were disappointed, though, and it didn't get very good reviews. Okay. Yeah, but if you like Colin Farrell... He doesn't wear a shirt much. and Oh, I see, for the lady sort of thing. Yeah, I guess. Well, well, I'll talk about the positives that I did like about it. Obviously, I've mentioned the director, Wiseman, and his wife, Kate Beckinsale, being veterans of the action genre, having already done the Underworld franchise together. Um, there was very cool moments, which I really liked, and I thought um, Kate Beckinsale really shined through. And mind you, they're all veterans of the action film, in particular Colin Farrell, with his films such as Miami Vice and, to a lesser extent... Uh, the New World with Ter- by Terrence Malick. But there was a cool moment where they're having a shootout in the hallway and uh, Kate Beckinsale gets two mechanical bodyguards and they move forward firing at them while they're trying to get the elevator to work or get out through the elevator. And she's using them as a tank, like as a shield, as she walks yeah. and approaches um, their position um, behind the hallway. I thought that was really well done. And the whole had a ca- real, car I, sequence I a- was pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, I had a real problem with the action scenes because it felt like these ro- robots that were programmed to be soldiers hmm. were such bad shots. Yeah, and it's like these these shots are too accurate for stormtroopers. <laughs> and then later yeah. on, the whole movie, rest of Star Wars, they're missing everything. <laughs> Terrible, because if you watch it and you haven't seen it and you're happy to listen to this first, when you do watch it, 
you'll just notice how bad they are at shooting and mm. how many bullets everybody seems to have as well it's just i get they kind of have phases or whatever in the yeah. future you know with more unlimited ammo the futuristic stuff i think was was done best when he goes and finds recall and he sees the um well he sees the the colored tattoos the kind of glow and stuff oh that's cool yeah you know, with that special ink and the way they have those hand phones that they have to put against glass to get a picture um they hold up their hands to their ears i mean that could really happen in the future probably and, yeah and it reminded me of phone booth how he you know he's in the glass and minority report a little bit too yep. you know but the matrix too is getting a mysterious call from a morpheus type of guy and the total recall um place itself is pretty cool like how they inject it with the chemicals and stuff like that and it's got the main star um from oh that that stoner movie white castles um, harold john and chow from uh, harold and kumar harold yeah. Kuma. yeah i thought that scene was pretty cool yeah no they so they did little things right but this film like it wanted to be futuristic jason bourne you know um mm. and not focus as much on i guess what was cool about the first one was you kept wondering the whole time whether or not it was a dream yeah. and whether or not he was in recall or whether it was you know but the there's also of nice going. touches and this is paul verhoeven like the relationship between um sharon stone and michael ironside was there something between them because when she yeah. dies he feels really lost and the relationship between michael ironside and his boss like there there was just like this i don't know uh, like although he was the minion of the this suit he was also treating him like crap like breaking up the communications whenever he could and so forth like that i thought that was great and this one it was just so straightforward here's um kate beckinsale the number one assassin for um uh brian cranston i can't pronounce yeah. his name cohagen cohagen yeah whatever yeah, his name whatever was. his name is um you know it was just so straightforward none of those elaborate touches what paul verhoeven brings to the script <laughs> yeah like um things bothered me the whole first part of the film was like a drawn out treasure hunt where it's like go to the bank go to the apartment <laughs> go here like, as you said it was your... like born identity wasn't it especially that yeah. scene where he goes to the safe box and he's opening yep. up and he's got all these different passports and these video messages yeah yeah and at the bank he has his retina scanned right and all that information pops up wouldn't you read what your name is yeah at that point it's right in front of you you know and there was a really jarring zoom shot when he opens the safety deposit box and then there's obama money in there which <laughs> is kind of funny <laughs> um but like you know go here go there now go here get your ass to mars says it all doesn't mm. it you know go to mars end <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and if if the script wanted to be mysterious and not tell us his name right away it succeeded because it became annoying the fact that we didn't know his name and like if you've seen the original you know you're going to sort of assume it's quaid or you know whatever um but like jessica beale meets up with him and says i've been looking for you everywhere but doesn't say i've been looking for you everywhere jeff or whatever you know yeah. name doesn't say a name doesn't you know anything like that then th he doesn't ask any of the key questions you know yeah what you oh. logically do oh oh he doesn't ask the key questions until he gets to the hologram of himself and it's an interactive hologram with limited capabilities <laughs> right lucky carl hauser recorded stuff about how the rebellion are not terrorists 
and he covered a lot of ground for a limited recording. Yeah, it was just yeah. like, yeah, just heaps of very specific answers that he was like, oh, I know I'll say this. I know I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely say this next. Because it's just one time where he says, you know, it's limited recording. Stick to whatever. I found yeah, in anyway. most, uh, when we got to those chase sequences, for some reason they weren't exciting to me. Mm. Like, um, oh, he needs to get away from... You know, and Kate Beckinsale looked great as, like, this Terminator who just never stops coming sort of thing. Um, but it just got... I don't know, I wasn't excited. Like, even the chase sequence with the cars, which looked great, the futuristic cars, I just wasn't excited. I'm just like, oh, I guess they get away, you know. The futuristic cars kind of reminded me of uh, Minority Report. Remember yeah. how they're sort of attached? Mm. Yeah. And um, they sort of have to pilot their own while mm. they're all on, like, a conveyor belt in the future kind of thing. Yeah, the um the elevator fight seemed like it could have been the climax of the film. Yeah. You know, but there was still like 50 minutes to go and yeah, when she's sort of constantly attacking him, I was thinking about, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. I I couldn't make it through that movie as well, 15 <laughs> minutes in. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. They cuz they have quite a similar theme where a husband and wife are kind of fighting him with weaponry yeah and there's a scene where they're shooting up the house and uh angelina jolie says still alive baby sort mm, of thing and just yeah. yells it down the stairs at him you might have seen that but it was pretty early on yeah um but it reminded me of that where she's sort of shooting at him and they're yelling things back and forth but mr and mrs smith was much more clever and had far better writing and they had this dance number in mr and mrs smith where they're dancing with each other and sort of pulling knives and stuff that are hidden in the clothing and like she has one strap to her leg and stuff <laughs> and they're, they're sort of um you know well undressing I, each yeah, other yeah i think the weapons. biggest difference with these those two although i haven't seen all of mr and mrs smith was mr and mrs smith had a sense of humor total recall the, i don't think there was a bit of humor in it at all yeah exactly. it, was, it wasn't even fun <laughs> well there was what'd you like about the, it the futuristic part that's it the the futuristic stuff i like i like the touches where there's that you know the holographic kind of ink stuff uh yep. holograms rather the telephone stuff all the futuristic stuff the flying cars that really was i think the highlight for me um there was a lot of things i i thought annoyed me like when he goes and sees bill nye the leader of the resistance in the toxic chemical zone of course mm. um they share this really cringe-worthy scene where each line is more cryptic than the last, and yeah. I can understand why that was, why you turned it off there, because you know that whole sequence of dialogue, like I easily could have paused it and then just never come back to it myself. Um, and as well, he has like a zillion memories, but the first one they pull up is the encrypted one, and then encrypted memories seems like a really weird idea as yeah. well. You know, and then it's Brian Cranston, and then it's a trap, and then they're there immediately. Yeah. You know, which they don't get any warning. I don't know. There was this bit which annoyed me all through the film, and it was, um, all right. So Kate Beckinsale is on the phone talking to Brian Cranston, right? Yep. And he says, "Take me off speakerphone," right? And uh, he says something to her, and she says, "Why? Why was he left alive?" or something like that, right? yeah and then they hang up the phone and then she goes we have to kill him on site or something right yeah then his plan right brian cranston's plan 
to let Colin Farrell get to the Resistance leader and then they would get to him and be able to kill Matthias, that wouldn't have happened at all if Kate Beckinsale had just killed him. Yeah. So then Brian Cranston didn't say anything on the phone. Like, if he said something like, he's the most dangerous person in the world or whatever, right? Yeah. And then she goes, okay, we have to kill him on site, right? Imagine if she succeeded and killed him. Brian Cranston's plan would have failed. That's a really good point. <laughs> right? And then if she... Why would she say, let's kill him on site, if he told her the plan on the phone? You know what I mean? Mm. If he goes, take me off speakerphone, he's going to help us get to Matthias and we're going to kill Matthias. Then why would she hang up the phone and say, let's kill him on site? Which would foil the plan, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it was really that... That really annoyed me. And then later on, they get around it with this throwaway line where he says that she didn't follow his orders kind of thing, which is stupid as well, because yeah. then she's not a team player. And yeah, that really bugged me. Um, those like robot things aren't even bulletproof. So I don't understand what the point of them for those stormtroopers, like what the point of them was. Yeah, I, I just pictured them as like tanks, I guess. But yeah, they, they couldn't take too much damage, could they? But they can't aim and they go down after getting <laughs> shot once. So I don't understand. Like, they're terrible in a world, <laughs> in a futuristic world. Like, there's such a weird army to have. I mean, would have made more sense if it was humans in suits. Maybe and, they're and just, they were just um, prototypes for the T- T-800 and the T-1000. <laughs> yeah, well, Arnie, Arnie wouldn't be in that. Imagine that. Colin Farrell redoes the Terminator as the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Len Wiseman Kate Beckinsdale would play um, what's her name Sarah, Sarah Connor, Connor. <laughs> and the situation would be reversed as, yeah as long as they don't give this film to Len Wiseman oh sorry that film to Len Wiseman you should be right <laughs> oh they'll do another Terminator definitely hey, just would wait you, uh, would you recommend this film to people like uh, I would give it to them I'd tell them with a warning I'd be like going yeah it looks amazing but it's so by the numbers that's all I'd say I said to somebody um, oh, I'm going to watch that Total Recall, the new one with Colin Farrell. And they said, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And then I, I've said that to a few people. I'm going to watch that Total Recall, you know, just sort of testing. Everybody says it's pretty good. Like, it's sort of one of those films you don't have to think about. Yeah, isn't it? no, that's a it's really It's sort of a dumb, dumb action film that it, you just kind of watch. It is. It's a very safe movie. I can't see it being a movie people will watch twice or at all <laughs> well if, no, no, if they d- wanted definitely. to watch it they probably would have watched it by now yeah there's one more bit of terrible dialogue i want to mention ah he says um we've just secured the prisoners attempting to escape on level nine the prisoner in bay six was just caught attempting escape she was with a second individual male right i don't think you were there for that you didn't last long enough to hear that dialogue <laughs> but they basically are talking about um, the fact that Jessica Biel and, um, was caught attempting to escape with a male individual, right? Yeah. And then they say, that's him. You know, which was just this terrible bit of dialogue. Unnecessary. <laughs> completely unnecessary. They could have said, the prisoners are attempting to escape. And it would have said yes. exactly the same, you know, instead of this cryptic gibberish which was a problem for like a lot of the film was yeah, too cryptic absolutely he was trying to make it sound smarter than what it was <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and again i'm not sure that you saw this towards the end but 
You didn't, really, you didn't. But uh, Brian Cranston's character has a knife fight with Colin Farrell's character. Okay. And the knife sound effects at the end are constant. You don't, you, you don't get that Wolverine kind of knife sound effect every time you pick up or swing a knife. Yeah. But in that sequence, you do. If you watch it again, every few seconds, there's just a shing, shing, shing. Like, it's to the point where it's annoying. That doesn't sound really fair, a knife fight between Colin Farrell and a older Brian Cranston. Was Brian Cranston skilled? Like, as far as I know, he's just a bureaucrat. Look, I think he's the only one with a knife, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay, so, so he had slight That's advantage. his advantage, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I mean, um, the whole film seems like it has a lot of flaws, like it was made prematurely or something. Yeah, I really. it made me really want to watch um, the original again. Hmm. Uh, by Paul Verhoeven I'm actually disappointed I've, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen and I was going to watch it prior to this podcast but just didn't get around to it I, I just didn't want to pay for it again <laughs> I know that sounds terrible but yeah no it's all good it's all good I get you I'm, I'll probably rewatch the uh, original Total Recall soon um, but with this one I mean a film that didn't need a remake at all and I, I, I want to talk briefly about Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes right yep that was with, um, with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, yeah. yeah and I don't want to give it. A, I don't want to give away any details. I'm not going to give away anything about it. But at least they tried to change the ending and make something unique of this new film. You mm. know what I mean? Um, yeah, like it had Total Recall given us something new right at the end. I feel like it would have been a better film. Mm. Certainly, that there would have been a point. You know. Um, but here as it stands it just feels like um, you know how they remade Psycho and it was shot for shot with yes um, uh, by Gus Van Sant yeah I mean if this was shot for shot it would be even more pointless (laughs) it's it's slightly improved by not being shot for shot but it is almost identical story without as much mystery you know they spell more things out so that's the problem for me plot in this one Yep, and again, I just want to reiterate the biggest problem for me was just how basic and typical this film was. It showed me nothing new, nothing special. It was just so boring. <laughs> mm. And that's why you didn't get through it. I just couldn't get through it. It was just so predictable. Uh, it's everyone all good. looked great. Everyone looked fantastic. The whole film looked amazing. I thought it was well cast, but yeah. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't work in Hollywood. Show. You could have the greatest production design, the greatest stars, and everything like that, but if you just don't have that director who goes that extra edge, or if you don't have a solid script, it just goes nowhere. Mm. It's a shame we've done two sort of negative podcasts in a row, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> um, Alright, so that brings us to this week's new segment. Here's the opener. The film that I'm going to recommend um, for this week's podcast is The Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's an old black and white film, and I've actually uh, got the Blu-ray box set called Universal um, Monsters, uh, Classic Monsters. It was during the golden age of Universal's um, monster films, starting with Dracula in 1931 and Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and so forth. This one's a bit later, and the reason I want to recommend it, in particular this box set, it's the 3D edition of Creature from the Black Lagoon. 
Um, That's it's interesting. A, it's a cult favorite. This one, like almost like the Blob, like Frankenstein. It's a lot of fun. Pretty bit campy, but you know, it's really great. But it was originally shot in 3D, and it's got one of the best underwater photographies ever. I think in film. Um, not since Piranha 2, I think, was it ever matched, and that's pretty good. Or might have been, uh, you know what? It might have been uh, Jaws that broke it. But it's a great little fun Universal monster film, like on par with Frankenstein and Dracula. It's great. It's a lot of fun. So tell me, like, how um, the 3D holds up because obviously it wasn't shot in 3D. It's an older film. They've oh no, it, taken w- it was shot in 3D. It was shot in 3D? Yeah, it, w- it was one of the first 3D films to have come out, and they, they painstaki- painstakingly went through the underwater photography with these massive 3D cameras um, that required, like, two or three men to hold it. And it's got great choreography for its time during the underwater battles because they're fighting the monster underwater. And, I don't, and you know, they got spear guns and they're shooting at it. Gosh knows how the poor guy was breathing in that suit. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry? So so how how I said geez um, yeah. <laughs> how are the um well how is the 3D compared to something like Hugo or something else we've talked about in 3D That's a good question there are a lot of um uh, shots that really exploit that like particularly at the start they're digging like this archaeology group is that how you pronounce that? <laughs> um, they're digging, sort of like yeah. an opening in Jurassic Park, they're digging around all these bones and everything, and one scientist or guy stops, goes, oh my gosh, what is this? And the camera continuously goes into this hand coming out of the ground, and it's this monstrous fish hand, and it really comes out at the screen, but you're just looking at it with thumping music for like, you know, a good 10, 20 seconds, and you're like, oh yes, I get it, it's a hand coming out of the screen. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, the 3D was really great. That That's why I recommend awesome. this edition, because when these films came out in 3D, like Dial M for Murder, um, which are soon to come out, mind you, is House of Wax, which uh, Martin Scorsese says is the greatest 3D film ever made, and of course, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, it was shown in limited theatres. Only a limited amount of theatres could actually... Uh, did actually have prints of the 3d edition and then when it went over to europe and everywhere they just ran the standard 2d version only now with blu-ray are these 3d films available so it's really interesting that now you have that opportunity whereas before you could only read about it in books and imagine what it would have been like to audiences at that time but um yes the director originally did shoot this in 3d and it was intended to be seen in 3d house of wax i'm sure you um you're referring to the Vincent Price 1953 exactly. film? I'm proud to say I still haven't seen that film because I'm holding out for the 3D, but unfortunately I watch a lot of horror documentaries, so I do know the plot inside out and I do know what happens, but I still haven't seen the whole film. I'm waiting for it. it it's said to be released this year in Blu-ray. Um, Dial in for Murder was one of the biggest releases that people wanted to see. And I actually did a video review on that. I think it's on our Facebook um uh, uh, pod me if you can page um, and uh, this one of course was one of them well, a big anticipated release <laughs> awesome well maybe we'll see a um, another video from you yeah about, I, I uh, probably House should do one on this I just want to say with Creature of the Black Lagoon it's got this very attractive girl who, who's like the 
um, the star of it. All all these monster movies have beautiful women in it, where the monster is famously carrying them, and you know what I mean, like carrying them away. And of course, yeah. it happens in Creature of the Black Lagoon. But there is this fantastic sequence where um, she just um, jumps out of the boat and starts swimming, and she's wearing this um, bathing suit, and the monster sees her and starts following her, and he's swimming underneath, and it's terrifying and um, erotic at the same time. You know what I mean? Like he's just spying on her like swimming with her like as she's doing backstrokes at the top of the um at the top of the um pool i guess or the lagoon i should say the creature (laughs) is at the bottom following her like almost touching her um and it was a precursor to jaws a lot of people say like steven spielberg utilized that with the shark and the beautiful woman swimming up top and and getting her sort of thing but it's a really beautiful moment so if you like Jaws, you'll like uh, Black Lagoon. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but go Very check nice. out Creature Black Lagoon. It's one of the cult favorites, one of the best monster movies ever made of the classic genre. Very nice. Uh, well, that'll be the end for Pardon Me If You Can for this week. Um, you can find links to us on Twitter and Facebook and so forth at our website, which is www.podmeifyoucan.com. Uh, my Twitter is at DaveFarrell1. And Lloyd? I'm at Halius Tales. Very nice. Until next time on Pod Me If You Can, bye for now. Thanks, guys. All the best. <laughs> <laughs>